0: We're often tempted to be a priest for our kids standing in between God and our kids and telling the kid what God meant and and telling God what the kid meant. And she said, no, we should get out of the way and turn them over to God as soon as possible. Because that way, when the kid as a natural part of growing up rejects their parents' values, they won't reject God because God is theirs. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women, where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her.
1: Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Erin Atkins. And I'm Elisa Morgan. Do you have children?
2: Do you help with any type of kids' ministry, like babysit, mentor, or do anything that involves teaching or parenting kids in some way?
1: Have you ever stopped to think about how you are discipling the kids in your life? We may fear teaching our kids about Jesus because we may think we're not equipped or we don't have time or the energy. But today's guest has some important information that will help us all learn how to disciple our children.
2: Sarah Cowan Johnson is the mother of two boys and a ministry trainer, consultant, and coach who works with church planters, pastors, and ministry leaders across the United States. She recently discovered a shocking statistic that has led her to equip people in helping their children grow a relationship with
1: Christ. Let's learn more about how Sarah stepped into this role after years of working in ministry. Join us for this conversation on God Hears Her.
0: Since I left the sort of role of pastor, I have been moving into a space where I I work for myself, I'm a consultant, and I work with a lot of, yeah, a lot of different people and I kind of come in and (laughs) consult and then step out. So for me, um, some things that I have learned, I think there's something, and this is just to be... Yeah, really vulnerable, I guess. Um, There's something when I was in a system where I was very competitive with my colleagues and looking across at my male counterparts and noticing how they're received in a certain space or how I'm received. I mean, there was always a perception that I must be somebody's wife or something like that, right? Uh, So, So there's a lot. I think when I'm on my own, I'm not comparing myself to other people. So I think there's something for me about the confidence that mm. comes with differentiating myself a little bit, mm-hmm. and then the other thing that's been interesting is I'm doing, um, a, you know, the book that I wrote and a lot of the leadership that I'm doing right now is to equip parents. So I am talking with a lot of moms. I talk with dads too, but I do get a lot of just a lot of chance mm. to get in the mm-hmm. trenches with moms, um, and I think that. Those conversations when we talk about parenting, they can be fraught um, and people make all kinds of different choices, right? Do we stay home? Do we work? And I always remind people, like, I I wrote a discipleship book, not a parenting book. So I'm trying to, like, bridge that. all the different choices that we have as women to get at the essence of the calling that we all have to raise children to know Jesus, but yeah it's been interesting to be in that space and to to work with moms of all different stripes
1: What's the difference between discipling your children versus parenting your children? Mm -hmm. I love
2: that differentiation. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you,
1: Sarah.
0: What I mean when I say that is, for example, I'm not giving tips on how to discipline your kids. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to weigh in on whether you should stay home or work. You know, I'm not. People often want to talk about like school decisions, public school, private school, Christian school, uh, homeschool. We do public school. I'm not going to advocate that that's a choice that everybody makes, right? This Those are not the, yeah. the decisions that I'm weighing in on in my professional work with parents. What I care about is regardless of any of those things, how are we helping our kids to know and follow Jesus? And mm-hmm. how can I help you to do that? Well, uh, whether you're a working parent, uh, stay-at-home parent, whether you've chosen to homeschool or send to Christian school or go to public school or private school. Yeah. So there's some stories that I share where when I do a seminar, I'll say, you know, it's a story about a kid getting several timeouts. And I'll say, remember, <laughs> I am not here to teach you how to discipline your kids. <laughs> but let's talk about what God's doing in the middle of this moment. Yeah.
2: It's such a neat That's path it. that you describe. And thanks for sharing uh, your life transitions here. You know, the quote, insecurities, struggles Mm -hmm. of being in the pastoral ministry, and then the competitive things that were bubbling up there. And I can hear great freedom in how God has given you a new street path to walk in, where it's just you bringing you. How did you get passionate about the discipleship of children uniquely, where you were in the context of discipling more adults and leaders?
0: I was serving as the executive pastor in this church plant, and in a church plant, that role looks different than it would probably in a big established church, but my, the, the broad strokes of it were to develop the people and the systems needed for growth. And, um, while I was on staff there, we planted two more congregations. So it was like a constantly changing, moving system. So developing people and structures, and we did not have a children's ministry person at the time. And I was trying to hire somebody and I, wasn't finding the person that I wanted. I was looking yeah. for essentially a seminary-trained person who'd be willing to work like eight hours a week. It was like, it just wasn't uh, wasn't happening. So I said, well, under the leadership umbrella of my role, I'll step in for a year and I'll develop a team of lay leaders and then I'll try to hire again in a year. But I was really um, hesitant as a woman in ministry <sighs> I didn't want to lead children's ministry. Oh, I was gosh. very, I was very nervous about being boxed in there yep. and the um, label.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. and get out of. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I was very clear. I'm, <laughs> I'm coming at this from leadership development. Let me I was be a little, clear. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit defensive about that, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. even when I wrote the book, I was a little worried about that because that's one part of what I do. It's yeah. I do you know, what I'm doing for our denomination is around church planter training and discipleship resources. So it's, I have always sort of felt in me a little defensiveness, but here's why I care about this so much. And here's why that doesn't bother me as much because I push through it. So when I was on staff and I started to work with this team, I had no background in children's ministry. I had college ministry experience. Um, So I just started reading and I read Sticky Faith, which is a great yeah. book. And that's the first time I heard that mm. statistic that 50% of our kids in our churches that are actively involved are walking away from their faith after they graduate. And I I just Huge. couldn't believe it. I had yeah. never heard it before. I had two little kids at the time. And mm. I was like, how are we okay with this? This mm. is terrible. Mm. <laughs> so, And I think it explained my experience in college ministry because we had often had the experience of setting out a sign-up sheet in an activities fair, and we get all yeah. these youth group kids who come and are like, oh, I'm, I was part of a church. They sign up, and then they disappear. Mm-hmm. And so I, I knew, like, now that I thought about it, oh, yeah, I've seen those 50% walk away. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, but I could not believe this was sort of normal. So... My little competitive side kind of came out, and I was like, "We're going to beat this at our church."
2: <laughs> wow. So I think a lot of women and moms have the very same response you do. Mm-hmm. It's like we have been in a career, or have been finding ourselves, or have been finishing our growing up, or you know, doing therapy, and then yeah. we become, <laughs> and yeah. then we become moms, mm-hmm. and we don't want to be boxed in to this idea of, okay, now you're the children's area. And, and yeah. we resist that. And we want to take our kids and have somebody else do it, because we want to break. But we also we want to be have our voice yeah. in a different platform, a different right. place. And I love the honesty that you're sharing that there's more of you than discipling your children. But you came to realize the holy calling yeah. yeah. Of discipling exactly. yours and other children exactly. for the kingdom. It's really, if you just want to make it more in, you're raising up the next generation of leaders. Okay. That's right. And, and right. I'm just really glad that you said that because I bet there's yeah. a zillion women listening who've had that same hole that they've tripped down yeah. and fell into face first.
0: Yeah. Well, it's really interesting to me that when I first became a mom, I've always worked. I worked full time through having babies. And that was very difficult, but I, was like I am staying in the game you know Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. lately and some of this is working for myself I have more flexibility the past couple summers I've taken almost the whole summer off but I just I'm like these moments with my kids it's funny how I've softened to Mm -hmm. a lot of that as Mm -hmm. I have also simultaneously seen how important Mm. the discipleship of our kids is and that's not something that I take exclusively. My husband and I are both in that space, but it's just been interesting to feel that softening in my own heart as I have, I think, matured and worked through a lot of those insecurities that, um, yeah, this is this is really important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, that the 50% thing, so that was my moment, my little Kairos moment of what the heck is happening to our kids. As I began to research and figure out, is there anything we can do to change that statistic the thing that I landed on was this research that says that yes there's one thing that makes a difference and it's not church programming. It's not hiring the staff person I was looking for. It's none of that. It's parents Mm. who talk about and practice their faith at home. Mm. And um, the statistics show that 82% of kids whose parents do that go on to follow Jesus as adults. So to me, yeah. (laughs) So you hold up 50% on one hand and 82% on the other. And so again, Mm. as a pastor at the time, I was like, okay, we can keep putting all of our energy into our Sunday morning programming, Mm -hmm. or we can divert some of that energy towards equipping and empowering parents. And that's what I started doing. And so I started doing trainings that then I started doing locally uh, for other churches. And then that grew into this book and ministry that Mm. I'm doing
1: now. Because churches... They have only fifty-two. Is it like fifty-two opportunities to influence a child?
0: Yeah, if you think about once a week. Yeah. If perfect. If they're there every week, right? If it's
2: perfect yeah. Attendance. The average mm-hmm.
1: is forty. Wow. Yeah.
2: The average
1: forty yep. days out of yep. an entire year. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of parents outsource discipleship to the church. That's right. Uh, because they're tired, like I said, but maybe because they feel inadequate. You know. Yep. So, mm-hmm. what does it really mean? I mean, yeah. you're sitting practice and um, you know, talk about your faith at home. Yep. What does that look like and, and how yeah. do you do that?
0: Well the thing that I have started to zero in on, so parents always say two things when I say what what keeps you from doing that, right? What there's a lot of reasons that keep us from doing that. But Devices. Two things right. <laughs> yes. The two things that come up over and over and over again. One is time. You know, when <laughs> when am I going to do that? In addition to you know, getting everybody everywhere they need to go every second of the day. And then the other thing Mm -hmm. is just a sense of like, what do Mm -hmm. I do? Like, what does exactly the question Mm -hmm. you're asking, what does that look like? So what I try to focus on is two things. One is um, helping parents respond to what I call God moments, um, just Mm -hmm. when be able to kind of disciple on the fly as um, they're aware that God is trying to get their kids' attention in some way, and I can talk a little bit more about that if you'd like. Mm-hmm. But the other one is being proactive in kind of taking the initiative to say, I'm going to disciple my kids today, but with simple spiritual practices that take three to five minutes that you kind of can stack on top of other routines. So, for example, as you are shuttling them to soccer practice, can you do a little um, – mm you know, something called a God hunt, which is where did where did you see God today? Or as you're sitting at the dinner table, can you do a little devotional practice? Or as you're bathing your toddler, can you do these things? So I think that's, those are the, the two things I focus on is mm-hmm. kind of responding to these moments that come at us where we're aware there's some spiritual activity happening. And then these simple spiritual practices that I use a framework to help parents think about the age and stage of their kids, you know, what discipleship looks like, like what are we actually aiming at, those kind of things. But the goal is not to add hours and hours to your life or have to have a seminary d- degree to do any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, it should be simple and uh, actually very much like Deuteronomy 6. That's the biblical inspiration that I, um, the story that inspires me is that this is what. God did with the Israelites as they're getting ready to go into the promised land and there's this danger that they might forget God. What he does is he says, okay, we need to teach the kids. And who's going to do that? It's parents who are going to do that in the midst of everyday life as you go to bed
1: and as you wake up and as you walk along the road and as you sit at home. I loved some of those practical applications that we can apply. What encouragement, maybe some advice would you give a woman that wants to disciple her children and she receives pushback. Maybe the child doesn't even want to talk about God today. Oh, my gosh, mom, quit over-spiritualizing everything. <laughs> everything is yeah. not God. And you're like, everything is God. And they're <laughs> like, no, it's not. Like, <laughs> how, that, I know. Because that, I will tell you, yep. Yep. as somebody who is a bonus mom to three girls – 6 12 and 14. Yep. There is this pushback that you mm. get that you, that can affect one your confidence. Yep. In, and then you're like scared to talk about it again. Yes. Kind of share some just real yeah. real tangible things that we can take away with in knowing who we are even when we continue to do it. All of the things. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so I think one thing that's really important to know. So kids go through stages of spiritual development just like they mm-hmm. go through stages of emotional development, social development, all the things. So it's really helpful to know. yeah the age and stage of your kid and what is normal spiritually for them. So for the 12 and up crowd, the primary way that they engage their faith Mm. is by questioning and by it looks like Mm -hmm. rejection even sometimes. And a lot of parents um, and churches experience that stage as threatening, right? So this is, um, yeah, the kid who wants to either push back, rip something apart, Uh, Say, I don't get this. It doesn't make sense.
2: Deconstruct would be a word that's used today a lot. Uh
0: Absolutely. So Mm -hmm. all of that can feel very threatening. And I think a lot of times with a certain lens on that, we can assume these questions, this pushback, this uh, stab at independence here, that this is a threat to adult faith, when actually it's more of a threat to adult faith if we shut that down and don't allow that. Mm -hmm. So actually... Kids who kind of spiritual development stops at the stage before that, which yeah. is um, in their middle years, it's called the affiliative stage. This is a, a model by John Westerhoff. Their primary motive of engaging faith is um, through the community. So they're, the way kids in that like middle 7 to 11, the way they think about faith is I believe because we believe. And so if that's where their faith development stops – yeah, they're going to have a really hard time figuring out how to follow Jesus apart from the family or the church. So in those teenage years when it can feel like everything is a battle sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's helpful to remember that actually some of that, not everything is spiritual. What are they trying to get at? Like, what is that? Right. <laughs> is it, I don't want every conversation we have to be spiritual. Like, what's mm-hmm. bu- what's beneath that question or right. that pushback? What do you think would be,
1: Underneath that,
0: I mean, not knowing the kid or whatever, but just that idea of not everything is spiritual. Is there like a sense that, yeah, every conversation we're having is about God because mom or dad is anxious and wants to insert mm-hmm. that into every conversation versus we have other conversations that, of course, everything is spiritual, but we're not, <laughs> we're not. Right. overtly talking about spiritual things. And then there are these conversations where we are connecting the dots.
2: It would seem like it it's natural for a teen to want to separate from parents yes and so if the parent makes everything spiritual the teen may want to separate from that or feel Mm -hmm. controlled by the parents and their own agenda you know i I wonder if we can back up and give the big picture of what are the stages of spiritual development you know how do we begin to understand them from infancy and then on to teenage because teenagers are definitely i mean huge issues where we all go oh we've got to fix this and maybe (laughs) maybe we don't so help us see the big picture yeah
0: so the model that I like to use is by John Westerhoff, and there are other models. This is not the only one. I like it because it's very simple. And I think for parents, it gives you just such a clear handhold through the stages. You don't have to remember five or 10. It's three. <laughs> so, oh, <good. laughs> um, so it's uh, experiential. That's little kids from birth to five or six. It's like just about to school age. Their primary mode of uh, spiritual expression is experience. They are doing the actions of faith. They are learning the stories, singing the songs, copying and mimicking the parent. And so the thing that Westerhoff says is that the stages are not linear, like you pass through one and leave it behind. They're like tree rings that you Mm -hmm. just add to it. So that in adult Mm -hmm. faith, you still have that experiential faith. That's really important. The actions and activity of faith is still important. That's why
2: liturgies yeah. and sacraments and days yes. of the week, those are all important. Yes. You know? And mm-hmm. spiritual
0: practices, you know, mm-hmm. and engaging your body and mm-hmm. and your senses in a spiritual life, you know. Mm-hmm. So for little kids, you know, sometimes I think we ha- we can get caught in the trap that we think this is pre-faith and their real faith happens when they cognitively understand the gospel. And that's not true. <laughs> I mean, if you think about what is it that allows human beings to interact with God at all? It's not yeah. that our brains develop to a certain level, and then we can right, get to be in relationship with God. God yeah. is the one who st- steps and stoops towards us. And so in that experiential stage, I believe our kids are absolutely interacting with God. They can hear his voice. They may not cognitively understand theology, but that doesn't yeah. mean that that's not real faith. It's what Three-year-old faith looks like, mm-hmm. yeah. so that that's the the first phase, and then sort of that seven to eleven. And these are all rough, but you know, just in elementary, and then just kind of peeking into middle school. Uh, Westerhoff calls it the affiliative stage. Again, this is where they begin to identify with the community of faith. So I believe because we believe. I I'm part of a tribe. Mm-hmm. My family believes. My church believes at the beginning, the family is kind of the primary Mm -hmm, unit by the end. It's like, Ooh, are my, where are my peers at? You know? And so this is where I think really connecting the kids to the life of the church, allowing them to participate in mission and service, you know, exposing them to not just monogenerational, you know, kids Mm -hmm. ministry, but intergenerational experiences Mm -hmm. in the church is really valuable and then again, that searching phase is they're yeah. questioning, they're pushing. They need to wrestle to reach an adult-owned faith. And um, I think kids who whose faith gets sort of truncated before they do that wrestling, I think that's where we see sort of a delayed searching phase that happens to many adults, right? Who yeah. just begin to yeah, maybe we want to call it deconstruct, but sort of uh, begin to ask the questions that maybe they weren't able to or mm-hmm. weren't About allowed young to. Age, yeah. Right
1: right that makes yeah. so much sense.
0: So, you know, it's funny um you had said, yeah, that it's natural for the teen to kind of push away from their parents. So, uh this is something that I talk about every time I talk about this, but um so my mom who is the book is dedicated to and she was um my inspiration for this for this book in many ways. Um she had this incredible ministry. She touched hundreds of people's lives just by being herself. She was not a Flashy, platformed leader. She was just a very consistent, faithful person. Anyway, she, in her um, last years of life, she had a degenerative neurological disease um, called multiple system atrophy that took everything. It took her mobility and it took her speech. She couldn't communicate. Oh, her mind stayed like totally intact to the end, but she couldn't talk, she couldn't type. <sighs> Wow. But we had in the last two years of her life, uh, we had been given an eye gaze device. It's like an iPad that can track your retinal movement and um, when wow. I when she found out that yeah, so it was it was difficult for her to use. so she didn't use it for like everyday communication, but she would send us emails
2: for like important things. Anyway. Oh, and you knew she worked hard at those. Yeah. Oh,
0: yes. It was mm-hmm. a labor of love. But when mm-hmm. I when she found out I was writing this book, she typed with her eyes an email congratulating me. And I wrote her back and I said, um, well, she had said in that first email, she said, I always wanted to write a book, but I had nothing to say. And we were like, mom, right. <laughs> you could have written 100 <laughs> books. Yeah. So I wrote her back and I said, mom, what's the one thing you would say to parents who want to disciple their kids and she said this and it's like the thing that i'd see if i can recite it from memory but she said i would say to parents uh, who want to disciple their kids that we're often tempted to be a priest for our kids standing in between god and our Mm -hmm. kids and telling the kid what god meant and, and telling god what the kid meant and she said no we should get out of the way and turn them over to god as soon as possible because that way When the kid, as a natural part of growing up, rejects their parents' values, they won't reject God because God is theirs. So she typed this with her eyes. I mean, this is the quote that in every seminar that I do, this is the money take-home thing. And I did not know that was the last email that she ever sent. But anyway, that idea that, yes, our kids will push away from us, but the goal is we want to uh, connect them as early as we can to God directly uh, Mm one-to-one and not make it a triangle (laughs) Mm -hmm. so that when they do push away from us, they still are connected to God. I love that so much.
2: (laughs) Can you give an example of how we might do that? Yeah. Maybe a time you've seen it happen.
0: One of the things I think, starting with little kids, um, I think we need to teach our children how to hear God's voice. So This is a practice that I do with little kids. I do with adults. um, But it's the practice of imaginative prayer. um, And this is something I think can really help change our expectations of what does it mean to hear God's voice. So a lot of times, even adults, we don't know, like, are we expecting an audible voice? How does God speak to us? Um, This this is a question that adults have. But certainly kids would want to know, like, what does it mean that God can talk to me? And so I think rather than sort of opening up just silence, which God could speak to a child in silence. I'm not saying he couldn't, but I think this practice gives all ages sort of a handhold a little bit here. So this is the idea that the Holy Spirit could inspire our imaginations. And so we would invite a child to close their eyes and picture taking a walk with Jesus somewhere that they like. So maybe it's the woods or maybe it's the beach or maybe just sitting on their bed with, with them. And then... Inviting the Holy Spirit to speak. So, Jesus, is there anything you want to say as you're going on a walk? I mean, to give you a really specific example, one of the the first times that we did this with our youngest son, Silas, he was four, and he'd had it. This is the timeout thing I was talking about earlier. He'd had this dinner time where it just was like terrible behavior, and uh, he had had four timeouts in a row, and. <laughs> You know, it's just at the end of every time out, we always do this little thing where he says he's sorry, you know, and I love you and I forgive you. So, anyway, he's back at the table. I love you and I forgive you. But he just is miserable. And I asked him what's wrong. And he said, My heart feels yucky. So, that was a moment like that, that God moment idea that I'm talking about. Like, that's a moment where I think God's doing something right he's convicting there's something going on spiritually in that my heart feels yucky so I had him do this little exercise right at the dinner table just close your eyes let's talk to Jesus about your yucky heart and so we're quiet you know picture Jesus take a walk with him and let's talk to him about your yucky heart and we asked him you know after a couple not not even a minute right just a little bit of time is Jesus doing anything or is he saying anything as you're as you're walking with him and he said yeah he's taking my yucky heart and he's giving me a new one so that's something like i i don't think that my husband or i in that moment would have thought about right but that's a biblical image from ezekiel Mm -hmm. right where i'll take your heart of stone and i'll give you a heart of flesh that's in four-year-old language that's i'll take your yucky heart and give you a new one and so that idea that Jesus could give him that picture directly, that God can communicate with our little kids, um, I think is a valuable skill uh, yeah. to teach as early as we can because we want to, to foster an independent relationship with Jesus.
1: And it develops this building block of faith That's right. that the Lord is doing his work. Mm-hmm. And silence doesn't mean stillness in the hearts of our children. (laughs) That's
0: right. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And and
1: we can remove ourselves from the in-between. Yep. of of translating what God is doing and yeah. trusting that God is doing.
0: Yeah, I think it's helpful to remember that God knows our kids better than we do. He loves mm-hmm. our kids more than we do. He wants relationship with them more than we want them to know Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, he's at work. Um, so I think a lot of times when parents, when we talk about discipleship, parents get all anxious or they feel, you know, that 82% statistic can feel weighty. It can feel like, oh, no, do I also have the ability to screw it up? Yeah. And I think it's really helpful to remember you're yoked to Jesus and he's the one actually doing the work. You're yeah. you're participating, but it's not all on your shoulders.
2: We do what God leads us to do over a lifetime. Right. And yeah. often especially from my perspective, my vantage point now in life, often You wait for seeds to grow in the dirt and the dark, you know? That's right. right. And you just trust that you you invested and you nourished and you did as God led you to. And you trust that it really is His job to grow the fruit. That life.
0: That's right. It's, you know, your kids are not robots. (laughs) You can't program them to follow Jesus. You could do, quote unquote, everything right. And they still have their own will. And that's part of what it means to be a parent is to surrender that. Yeah, my dad talks about teenage years being like, your kid kind of disappears to the dark side of the moon, you know, (laughs) like the Apollo missions going behind the moon, losing communication and just praying and hoping that they... (laughs)
2: <laughs> come around
0: the other side but there are these moments where it's out of your influence but it's not out of god not and out of God's. he's
2: on the back side of the moon that's right as well that's right god is with our children always even when we feel distant from them
1: yes let's all go out and be disciples for the kids in our lives now before we go Be sure to check out our website to find a link
2: for Sarah's book, Teach Your Children Well. You can find that link and a link to join our email list on our website at godhearsher.org. That's godhearsher.org.
1: Thank you for joining us. And don't forget, God hears you. He sees you. And he loves you because you are his.
2: Today's episode was engineered by Ann Stevens and produced by Jade Gussman and Mary Jo Clark. We also want to thank Amy and Pat for all their help and support. Thanks, everyone.
1: God Hears Her is a production of our Daily Bread Ministries.